Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So excited to see you guys today. Hopefully, you are pumped to be here. I know I am. It looks like we have a great crowd here on site. I know we also have a whole bunch of people worshiping with us online. I just looked, and we've got Amber in South Tulsa worshiping with us, Sherry in Colorado, Rick in Michigan, and a whole bunch of others. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. Let them know how glad we are they are joining us today for worship. And we are one week away from Christmas. I don't know about you, but I think that's crazy. That's hard for me to believe, even though we've been preparing for it for a long time. I cannot believe that we are a week away from Christmas. Today, our church family is going to go serve um, almost 150 families throughout the 918 to show them the love of Jesus, to unleash God's love on them. How incredible is that? And then this coming week is all of our Christmas services. And we hope that you know already you're invited to be here and you're making plans to attend, but also we hope that you are inviting other people to come as well. And so I just want to go over our Christmas service times here again, just to make sure everybody's clear on what's going on. We are going to have four Christmas Eve services. The first is going to be on Christmas Eve Eve, which I called a few weeks ago our Christmas Adam service, because Adam came before Eve. But anyway, so that's our Christmas Eve Eve service. It's going to be at 630 then we're going to have three services on December 24th, Christmas Eve, and we invite you to come to any of those, serve one, attend one, and some people have asked, you know, if we need to balance out services, is there one that we can attend when it's maybe less attended than others? They're all pretty full, but probably our last one at 6.30 on December 24th. If you can kind of gravitate towards that one, if you're able to, that would help us out in spacing, but still, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a candlelight service. If you've ever been to a Christmas Eve, service here at First Church, you know that it is a memorable time, and so I can't wait to celebrate the birth of Jesus with our church family. But then, on Christmas Sunday, Christmas Day, we're going to have one service at 11 o'clock a.m., and it's going to be here on site. It'll also be online as well, and we invite you, if you're in town, to come to that. A lot of people have said, why are you guys having a service on Christmas Day, which is kind of surprising to me, but they'll say, why are you doing it on that Sunday, because nobody will come, and a bunch of churches in our area are canceling services on that Sunday. We're going to have a big family service, and so we're going to have all ages together right here in this room, and it's going to be a blast, and so hopefully you can make it to our Christmas Day service at 11 o'clock December the 25th as well. And I'm excited about today because we're going to wrap up our Make Him Room series on Christmas Day. We're also going to go through the series on our, through our Christmas Eve services. But today we're in week three of our Make Him Room series. And to help me introduce the topic that we're going to talk about today, I want to show you a video that a guy made last Christmas. This is a guy who lives in Madrid, and he decided to well, spread some Christmas cheer in a very unusual way. And so this is what he did last Christmas on the streets of Madrid. Take a look.
It definitely adds new meaning to the phrase living Christmas tree, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, that was awesome. I love the guy at the end because he just keeps his phone conversation going. He's mad, but he's like, oh, and I don't even know if the person on the phone realizes what was going on. He just keeps on talking. But you know, if I were to ask you to sum up a theme of Christmas in one word, I doubt if the word that you would choose would be the word fear. Now, if you were to say words like hope, joy, peace, happiness, giving, or anything like that, I would expect that. But I doubt if the first word that would come to your mind would be the word fear. And yet, as we read through the original Christmas story in the Bible, one of the common themes that we see is fear. Over and over again, God sends one of his messengers, an angel, to appear to different people throughout the Christmas narrative to let them know about what God is doing and getting ready to do. And every time an angel appears to one of these people, the angel has to tell these individuals over and over again, do not be afraid. Apparently, the people are afraid of the angel, the messenger that God sends. I mean, last week we looked at the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and do you remember what Zachariah said when an angel first appeared to him? It says, when Zachariah saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear at the sight of the angel. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Same thing happened to Mary. When Mary, who was going to give birth to Jesus, when an angel appears to her to tell the good news of what's going on, she's troubled by this. And it says that Mary was greatly troubled, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. This isn't something to be scared of. This message that I'm giving you, you found favor with God. And even the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born, do you remember they were afraid as well? And the scripture says an angel of the Lord appeared to them and they were terrified at the sight of this angel with the glory of God surrounding all around this angel. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Over and over again in the Christmas narrative, an angel has to tell those involved, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of the angelic messenger. Don't be afraid of the message that I'm giving you. Don't be afraid of the glory of God because all this is good news for you. And there's one more moment in the Christmas story when somebody receives a vision from an angel. And this person is also told not to be afraid, but he's told not to be afraid for a different reason than just the presence of this cosmic angel. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to this guy named Joseph in a dream. Joseph, who will become the adopted father, earthly father of Jesus. Joseph, who's engaged to be married to this woman named Mary, who will give birth to Jesus. Joseph receives this dream with an angel speaking to him. And look at what the text says. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, but look at what he's not to be afraid of. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now that's a little different because everybody else is terrified at the image of an angel. I mean, apparently an angel doesn't look like this in real life. You know, we picture like this childlike creature that is innocent, that's, you know, blowing some trumpet or whatever, even though that picture is a little freaky. But still, we picture angels as not being that intimidating, really. But 
This is not what angels apparently look like. Apparently when angels appear and the glory of God surrounds them, people are scared to death. They are terrified. Zechariah was gripped with fear. But when an angel appears to Joseph, the angel doesn't say, don't be afraid of me. The angel says, don't be afraid to do what? To marry Mary. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Apparently, Joseph was more afraid, more scared of marrying Mary than he was of this cosmic being that was in his midst. Now, if you're familiar with this passage at all in Matthew chapter 1, you know that Joseph wasn't just having what we would typically call, call cold feet. I mean, that's not what's going on here. No, it's bigger than that. Joseph's world has just been turned upside down. He's just received news that has completely rocked his world. The picture that he had for his life has been totally shattered. And because of that, as he looks at his life at this moment in time, he doesn't see that there's any way that he can move forward with Mary as his wife. Now, it hadn't always been like that for Joseph. Just a little while before this, Joseph was probably really, really excited to marry Mary. I mean, it was the best of times for Joseph. They had finally set a date, which meant that Mary's father had agreed to Joseph being able to marry her because he had established his own business. He was able to make money and support Mary as his wife and later a family. And so this was the best of times for Joseph. Joseph had probably known Mary his entire life. They had known for some time they were going to get married. Now they had entered into this official engagement period. The date was set and he was ready to begin this new chapter of his life. And Mary was a real catch. She was a godly girl. She was a well-respected girl, and Joseph had probably known her family for years, and Joseph, he was a godly guy as well. He was a man of great character, and Joseph and Mary, they had done it right. They had dated properly. They had dated in a God-honoring way and been engaged, at least they thought, in a God-honoring way. That was until Joseph got the news that completely rocked his world. If you back up just a little bit from the verse we read just a second ago. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, we don't know exactly how Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. I don't know if Mary came to him and told him. I don't know if he just heard through gossips through the grapevine. We're not exactly sure how Joseph found out. But we do know one thing. Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, and he knows he is not the father. Joseph's world is completely turned upside down. The picture that he had envisioned for his life has now been shattered. And he doesn't know how to move forward from this because now everything has changed. 
And so the scripture says that he had in mind to divorce her because what you need to understand is that this is what the law required. In this day and age, once you enter into this official engagement period, in order to call off the engagement, you couldn't just say, hey, we're not engaged anymore or give me back my ring or whatever. That's not how it worked. It was a legal agreement. And so you had to end the engagement legally. You had to go through a legal separation from your future spouse, even though the marriage had not been consummated yet. And so Joseph knows what the law requires. A woman who's pregnant outside of marriage, and especially not his kid, there's only one thing to do, divorce her. He doesn't see any other way forward. He's stuck. He's trapped. He's hit a wall. No dignified, righteous man would go ahead and marry a woman like Mary. Because if you married her, then her shame would be cast upon you as well. You would live with stigma the rest of your life that was associated with Mary. You would be considered less righteous among those who knew you in your community. No righteous man would go ahead and marry a girl like Mary. And if Joseph did, not only would it hurt his reputation, but it would hurt his business. He wouldn't be able to hold certain leadership positions within his community and within the synagogue. Joseph would lose a whole lot if he went ahead and married Mary. Joseph doesn't see any other way forward. His only option is to divorce her. He's at a dead end. And let me ask, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're hitting a dead end? Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe you feel that way in your marriage. I mean, you've been praying for some time for your marriage to be more healthy. You've been seeing counseling. You've been talking to other people, trying to get help. But you just feel like you're hitting a dead end. Maybe you feel that way when it comes to your health. Doctor after doctor after doctor has told you the same thing. You just don't seem to be getting anywhere. You don't see any other way forward. You feel like you're hitting a dead end. Maybe you feel that way when it comes to raising your kids. Or maybe in your finances or at your job. Maybe you feel that way because of some past experience that you had. You can't get beyond the emotion of that past experience. I don't know what you're going through right now, but if you feel like you're at a dead end, that there's not a way forward, it's interesting to me that that's how the story of Christmas begins. It begins with a dead end. And yet it doesn't end that way. Because what we find out is that Jesus is the one who is able to turn dead ends into new beginnings. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe that's the message that you need to take home with you today. Because no matter what you're experiencing right now, if you feel like you're at a dead end, Jesus is the one who has the power to turn dead ends into new beginnings. And that's what he does, not only for Joseph, but that's what he will do for the entire world, including you and me. 
And that's what Joseph quickly discovers. So let's back on up again. Let's reread this passage. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, it's from God. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, Joseph had a plan. Joseph was looking at this situation, and he knew there was but one option, to divorce Mary. And here's the thing, in his day and age, any other man would have not only divorced Mary, but would have opened her up to public disgrace. He would have embarrassed her publicly, basically, because what did that man want to do? Take the heat off of him. He wanted to say, this is all her fault. She's the one that messed up. I had nothing to do with it. I was still pure. I was still righteous. I was still holy. She messed up. So not only would you divorce her, you would let everybody know what she did so that you could then move on with your life and marry somebody else. And still live a pretty decent life. And then for the rest of her life, she would have the stigma attached to her and her reputation would be hurt and damaged and whatever else. But that didn't bother you because you got to walk away from it. That's what any other man would have done in this day and age. But for some reason, that just didn't feel right to Joseph. For some reason, Joseph wanted to handle this situation a little differently. He didn't see any other way forward, but to divorce her, because that's what the law required. But did you notice what the passage said? It said, but because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph wanted to show Mary grace when everyone else believed she deserved disgrace. I've preached on this passage numerous times in the past. This is my 15th year in full-time preaching ministry. So I've preached on this text many different Christmases. And I've asked the question before, why Joseph? Why did God choose Joseph? Because think about it, this was a pretty big job. I mean, this wasn't like a one-time assignment to where, hey, go do this and then you're done. You know, this is, you're going to raise God's son for the rest of your life. This is a lifetime assignment that God gave Joseph. And it's a big deal. You're not just raising a kid, even though that's a huge responsibility. And you're not raising like a future prophet like John the Baptist or something like that. No, you are raising God in flesh, the son of God, Jesus himself. It's a pretty big deal. And have you ever asked the question, why was Joseph chosen of all people to be the earthly adopted father of Jesus? Because we really don't know a whole lot about Joseph. Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot about him. In fact, did you know there's not one word recorded in the Bible that Joseph ever spoke? We really just don't know that much about him. But, we, but what we do know is pretty significant. See, I think the reason why Joseph was chosen was because of Joseph's heart. See, I believe God wanted Jesus' earthly father to be a man who reflected the heart of Jesus' heavenly father. Because Joseph decides to show Mary grace before the angel ever tells Joseph what's going on. See, for Joseph, he wasn't just a righteous man in the sense that he knew God's law. He was one who lived God's law. 
He didn't just know God's word, like he didn't just memorize it and able to answer trivia questions or theological questions in order to make himself look smart. No, Joseph lived out God's word. And he knew, he knew what the Bible said about God. He knew passages, passages like this one in Psalm 103, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He knew God's true heart, and he knew that God wanted him to have a similar heart, a heart that reflected his heart. That's why he also turned to passages, I'm sure, like Leviticus 19, when it says, do not hurt someone who has hurt you, but love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus will later say that's the second half of the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There are no two greater commandments than those two commandments. Joseph was one who didn't just know God's word. He lived it out. And let me ask you, what's the point of knowing God's word if you're not going to live it out? What's the point of knowing the story of Christmas if you're not going to live like God is with you? What's the point of showing up to church and amening a point in a sermon if it's not going to make any difference in your daily life? What's the point of knowing God's word but not living it out? Several Christmases ago, I was in a, a Christian bookstore, and it was like a few days after Christmas, actually, and everything was on sale. You know, all their Christmas stuff was like 50 or 75% off or something. I can't remember, but it was really discounted. And you had all these people trying to buy this discounted Christmas stuff. I wasn't interested in any of that stuff. I was there for another reason. But I was watching all these people get all this discounted Christmas stuff. And I was waiting to check out in line. And there was a lady in front of me, and she was buying a sign that looked kind of like this one. It wasn't this exact sign, but it was a Christmas sign that said peace. That was it. It just said peace on it. And she was trying to buy it on sale. And so she got up to the cash register, and the clerk, you know, the cashier, he rang it up, and it rang up full price. It wasn't discounted in any way. And she said, oh, no, 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 that's a Christmas item. That's supposed to be on sale. And he said, uh, yeah, I guess it is. It didn't ring up right. Let me see if I can do something. So he's playing around on his little cash register computer thing, you know, whatever, and he's not able to get it to be on sale. So he said, I'm going to have to call the manager. Hang on just a second. I'm sorry. And he's real apologetic, but he calls for the manager. And while we're waiting for the manager to come, because I'm next in line, she goes off on him. Like, she lets him have it. And she says, this is ridiculous. I'm in a rush. I got to be somewhere else. And it's obvious this is a Christmas item. Why isn't this on sale? And I deserve better customer service than this. And she's just going off in front of him and in front of everybody else who's waiting in line, by the way. And she's trying to buy a sign that says, peace. <laughs> it's amazing how we will put up decorations around our home Say peace, joy, love, you name it, this time of year. We'll sing songs that talk about peace and joy and love. And then, when we're driving down the road and traffic's heavy, <laughs> something changes. What's the point of knowing God's Word if we're not going to live it out? And what I love about Joseph so Joseph wrestles with what to do because he's trying to do what's best in God's eyes. And everybody else would have considered Joseph foolish for marrying Mary. But heaven, heaven saw Joseph as faithful. And I think the fact that Joseph was considering to show Mary grace 
even before the angel informs him about what's going on, it's pretty important. I mean, again, just to be clear of this, look at what the scripture says. It says, but after he had considered this, after he had considered showing her grace, an angel of the Lord then appeared to him and told him basically what was happening, what was going on. And another question I've had anytime that I've preached on this passage is, why did God wait? Why didn't God tell Joseph what was going on before he found out Mary was pregnant? Wouldn't that have made things a lot easier, honestly, you know? If Joseph would have known that before he found out through gossips or before Mary showed up one day and said, hey, I'm pregnant. I mean, wouldn't that have been a lot easier on Joseph? Probably. But you see, Faith that can't be tested isn't real faith. How do you know your faith is real if it's never tested? And you see, faith isn't the absence of doubt, but it's the means to overcome it. It's the means to rise above it. See, God allows for us to wrestle with uncertainty at times and wrestle with our doubts because he knows that if we will rely on him and focus on him through those doubts, through the uncertainty, through the unknowns, that he will empower us to rise above those doubts. And for me, some of the greatest blessings that I've ever received in life have been on the other side of my doubts. When I have stuck with God and said, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why this is happening to me, but I trust you and you take me where I need to go. And on the other side of that uncertainty, God has revealed himself in a way like I didn't know him before. Faith that can't be tested isn't real faith. And here's the thing. We need these periods of wrestling with our faith in order for our faith to continue to grow because... God is going to ask Joseph to do more than just this. Joseph, especially over the next couple of years, is going to be asked to take even greater steps of faith for God. In order to be able to take those greater steps of faith, he's got to be willing to let his faith grow and develop and become stronger. And that happens during those times of testing. And so God allows for Joseph to wrestle with his faith, and Joseph proves that he still wants to reflect God's heart. And that's why it says that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, again, this divorce her quietly, that's a good thing. That's a noble thing. He's trying to reflect God's heart. But this phrase he had in mind to divorce her, he, again, he thinks this is the only option is to divorce her because of what's going on. He's not going to publicly disgrace her. He's not going to try to hurt her back. He's not, trying to, he's not going to try to get revenge. He's not going to put himself first. But according to the law, there's nothing else he can really do, he feels like. So he had in mind to divorce her. He had a plan. And let me ask you, have you ever had something in mind, but God had other plans? <laughs> have you ever come up with a plan? And he's like, this is it. This is what I need to do in order to move forward. And God says, hang on, I got something else in store for you. See, Joseph had something in mind, but God had something else in store. And oftentimes, what we have in mind doesn't compare to what God wants for our lives. God appears to Joseph and says, hey, listen, I know you got a plan, but we're going to blow that plan up. And I've got a different plan. Now, it's your choice whether or not you agree to it. But if you will follow my plan, I know that the picture you had for your life has been shattered, but i got a better picture for you. And Joseph has to make a choice, and this is how Joseph responds. When Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, 
And he gave that son the name Jesus. Now, I don't think we sometimes realize what a sacrifice this was for Joseph, how much it really cost him. Because again, nobody's buying the virgin birth story. Joseph didn't buy it at first. Oh yeah, sure, the baby is from God. Yeah, we believe that one. Nobody was buying that. For the rest of Joseph's life, people are going to whisper about him and Mary. People are going to talk about them behind their backs. People are going to spread rumors about them and rumors about Jesus, their son. Joseph is going to lose business over this. He may lose friends and family over this. He's going to lose leadership positions over this. I don't think we realize how much this cost Joseph. And not only that, by agreeing to marry Mary at this time, did you catch what the scripture says? He's going to wait to even sleep with his new wife until after the baby is born. And then he's going to give up the right to name the child after himself. The firstborn child was always named after the father. He's going to give that right up. Joseph is going to have to give up a whole lot in order to carry out this new plan that God has for him. And here's the thing. We have no record in Scripture that Joseph was ever vindicated for what he did. Publicly, that is, among people. I mean, Mary had to go through a whole lot. And I wouldn't want to be in Mary's shoes, especially when she's standing by the cross and seeing Jesus being crucified. Mary went through a whole lot. I don't want to lessen what Mary went through. Don't misunderstand me. But Mary lived to see her son walk out of the grave. Mary lived to see her son alive again after he was crucified. And Mary saw the good news about her son spread across the world. And those who knew the truth saying, Mary, we get why you did what you did. Joseph, we believe, died before Jesus ever started his earthly ministry, before Jesus ever did a miracle, before Jesus went to the cross or defeated death or rose from the dead or the church began or anything like that. Joseph never saw that on this side of heaven. Probably nobody ever walked up to Joseph at any point and said, oh, we get it now. We know why you did what you did. He was never vindicated among men and women. But that didn't matter to him because he was living for a greater vindication. He was living for an audience of one. He was living for something greater which God was offering him. See, in Matthew 1 verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, what was more important to Joseph than having the life that he had always pictured, what was more important to Joseph than having people accept him, what was more important to Joseph than being vindicated on this earth, what was more important to Joseph than everything he had to give up and sacrifice was the fact that God was coming to live among men, that God was coming to the earth to pay the price of the world's sin, that God was going to come for him. God had a greater plan beyond what Joseph could just see around him, and he knew that one day this life would end, and he wanted to 
to live for something more. See, so often in this life, we work so hard and we strive to get all this stuff and we gain all this stuff, whether it's wealth or popularity or influence or possessions, whatever. We gain all this stuff for what? So that we can then retire for a few years and then we die and our kids and grandkids fight over our stuff? There has to be more to life than just what we physically see around us. Because it doesn't matter how many people praise us or congratulate us or vindicate us in this life. The only thing that matters is if in the end God looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servants. And Joseph may have never been vindicated on this side of heaven, on this side of heaven. But he heard the words, I'm sure of it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because Joseph lived for something beyond this life. Joseph lived with hope. See, hope is the opposite of being stuck. Hope is the opposite of being at a dead end. Because when you have hope, you know that a dead end is never the end. And even though Joseph faced a lot of opposition, a lot of challenges in his life, he knew that no matter what he was experiencing in this life, it was never the end. He lived with hope. And it's interesting to me that in Matthew chapter 12, it talks about Jesus and it says, and his name will be the hope of all the world. So today, if you feel like you're at a dead end, Today, if you feel like that the picture that you had for life has been shattered, maybe you feel like your life isn't turning out as you pictured, maybe what you need to do is change your picture. And maybe you need to focus on Jesus so that he can bring hope to your picture. My kids sometimes will get a hold of my phone or Allison's phone, and we know that because later we'll go back through our photos and we'll see random pictures on there that we didn't take. And there are pictures that look like this. You know, I don't, that's like a light or in the ceiling. I think that's in our bedroom maybe. Here's a picture of Addie's eye, you know. Here's another picture of the ceiling of something. I don't know, it looks like Christmas lights or something. There's somebody's random feet. It's not my feet or Allison's feet, but somebody's random feet. Uh, here's a picture in our house. I think this is my kid's leg and my son's leg and a door to their bathroom, you know. We just get these random pictures that we didn't take. And really they're pictures of nothing, right? I mean, they're blurry, they're out of focus. They're pictures of nothing because they're not, aiming the phone, the camera, at what they need to be aiming it at. And sometimes in life, that's what we do. Sometimes the reason why our lives are blurry and fuzzy and out of focus and empty even is because we're not aiming our lives at the one who can give us hope. We have a great tech team here at First Church. Camera crew, crew up in our nest that controls my microphone so I don't want to make them mad so they don't ever shut me off, you know, or whatever. But we have a great tech team here. And our camera guys and our switch guy, they have to make sure that they follow me around. Because I don't know if you know this, I like to walk around when I preach. I don't stand in one spot. And so they have to walk around. So like this, like this camera's on me right now. If you don't care, just look at the screen for a second. Don't look at me anymore. If you're at home, you know, worshiping with us, you're at an advantage right now because you have to look at the screen. But everybody else here in the room, just look at the screen. Don't, don't look at me. See, when I walk around, the camera has to follow me. Because if the camera doesn't follow me, this is what happens. Like if the guy is on the camera, the girl on the camera, if they fall asleep or if they're not paying attention, they're on their phone on social media or whatever, if they're not paying attention, this is what happens. Are you ready? I will walk over here 
and I'm not on the camera anymore. There's nothing in the camera and I can be over here talking and preaching and doing all this awesome stuff and it's not getting me at all. Now, you know there's still something going on if you're watching the screen because you can hear me, but you're not focused on me. And there are times that I, this has happened in the past, not recently, but times when this has happened in the past and I have seen it happen when I've gone back and I've watched one of our worship services online and what I wish that I would have done, because I don't know this, I'm not watching the screens, but what I wish I would have done is this, hey, I'm over here, you know, I, I want for them to come back and give me again, but still, they don't see me at all. But here's the thing. If you're looking at a frame that's empty, what do you need to do? Shift the picture. Reframe the picture to what you're supposed to be looking at. And right now, if you feel like your life is empty, you feel like you're at a dead end, so things are fuzzy and out of focus and blurry. Jesus came for you. And the Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we fix our eyes on him, not only does everything come into focus, but within the frame of our life, the picture of our life, we now have hope. So if your life hasn't turned out the way that you pictured who gave you your picture? Maybe what you need to do is get a new picture. A picture that has Jesus in it. A picture where you have hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and study it. Father, I just pray that as we enter into this Christmas season that we will remember to make sure you are in our picture and we can live with hope. So Father, thank you so much for coming and letting us know that we are never at a dead end in this life, that this life is never at the end, that you have given us so much more to live for in your son. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.